All right, so every year for um, our anniversary, my wife and I's um, anniversary, we go on a uh, romantic getaway, no kids, just us two. Uh, two years ago, well, last year, COVID, so we couldn't go, but two years ago, I took her on a romantic getaway to Garden Grove, California. <laughs> and the year before that, I took her to another amazing place, Paradise, they call it, uh, Anaheim. <laughs> Is this Anaheim? No wonder. It's, <laughs> I was driving by, I was like, this beautiful here. <laughs> no wonder. Yes, yes. No, 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 I'm kidding. No, no, I mean, Garden Grove, Anaheim, that's, I'm not kidding. We really went there. I'm kidding that it's, it's paradise. Um, it, it's great. Yeah, it's just, you know, no kids. We get to do whatever we want. Uh, we're like, we're going to stay up, and then we sleep at 9.30, you know. But despite enjoying our time together, and sometimes it's like two nights, three days, um, despite really enjoying our time, at the end of it, I'm glad to be coming home. And if you, want, if you were one of the five that went to Arizona, I bet you, so the three of you are already home, but the two of you who are here, I bet you're like, man, I just can't wait until this dude stops talking and I get to go home, take a shower, go to number two finally, and, and just relax and take a nap. See, there's something about home. Hotels, I love it, but I always wake up a couple times, to, you know, in the middle of the night. Um, I have my favorite pillow uh, that I have at home. It's just a little too big to take it when I fly. I miss my pillow. Something about the bed, it's just sometimes too firm, too soft. You know, I always take a book when I go on vacation because I love reading. At my house, I go to my sofa, the armrest is a perfect angle where I put my arm, I put my book, I can read there for hours. In the hotel, I want to read, but I just can't get comfortable. Home. I just feel like I belong. It's where I could, I feel like I could rest. I feel safe. It's home. In today's passage that we're going to cover, the author of Hebrews says the word home or household, God's house, six times in the first six verses of chapter 3. In chapter 4, he talks about what happens at home, at God's home. The author tells us in God's household, we enter into his rest. Big part of today's message is it's invitation. It's an invitation to enter into God's house, enter into his rest. So let's find out how we can find this rest. So that's a question we want to answer today. How do we find God's rest? If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews 3, 1. I'll be reading just the first six verses. I did ask, is that the, I have a different translation. Maybe that's the one. Our church uses the CSB, CSB. 
what, what denomination is this? Baptist? A lot of Baptists are using CSB. What do you guys not change yet? <laughs> a Baptist guy came. Uh, he gave me a free Bible, free $100 Bible. And he, he asked me to uh, change our translation. And I was like, no, I'm just going to take the free Bible and not change it. But it worked. <laughs> I, have my, I love this translation. Uh, if you have time, uh, check it out. All right. So how do you find God's rest? Let's read the first six verses. Now, it's a lot. Hebrews is a lot. Usually Hebrews, man, you, gotta, you need an introduction, uh, you need a background and all of that. But I'm, I'm going right into chapter 3. All you got to know is that here the author is trying to uh, make an argument that Jesus is better than Moses. And for us, it's obvious, but let me, I'm going to explain why in a second, why that needs convincing to the, the original audience of Hebrews. 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who was appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. Now the comparison is starting. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory, Jesus is better than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Not every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Moses is the house. Jesus is the builder of the house. Jesus is greater than Moses. How do we find God's rest? Number one, we have to remember that God's rest is not found in a physical building. For those note takers out there, how do we find God's rest? Number one, we have to remember that God's rest is not found in a physical building. Okay, so why do, you, why do we even need a argument that Jesus is better than Moses. It, it seems pretty obvious. Well, to the Jewish audience, Old Testament is, is pretty much what they believe in, right? For, for, for the, the Jews. And, and Moses is, is one of their heroes of faith. It's because Moses took the Jews out of slavery in Egypt, out of slavery and into the promised land. And in the promised land, a little bit after the time of Moses, uh, King David and Solomon, uh, they, in the promised land, built the temple of God, and the temple of God is where God's presence dwelt. That's where they went to meet God, or at least the high priest is. To the Jews, that physical location, Israel, the temple, is very important to them. In fact, it's so important that Many, many thousands of years later, even to this day, the Jews are still fighting over that spot. Because in that spot, they feel like if they had that spot, if they could build a temple there, if they could worship there, they could truly feel the presence of God. But the passage is saying, look, what Moses did for you is really cool, but Jesus is better. Now, we might think Jews are silly for believing that God's house is physical. 
that their true rest will be found when they have this holy land back. But I want to argue that we are maybe not too different. Maybe we're not too different. Because how many of us have a hope in buying a house? If you have a house, how many of you have a hope in having a better house? How many of you guys are thinking, let's say you already own a house. You're one of the lucky few that own a house. But you're sitting there, oh man, if I just remodel this room, if I just fix up the kitchen, oh man, if I did this. Maybe, maybe you're like me. You got married, you bought a starter home. We're like, I promised my wife, we'll be here like five years, and then we'll move to a better school district, bigger house. Twelve years later, we're still there. And you guys want, oh man, if I had that house with the backyard, my kids could play there. I'm not saying you can't find rest in a physical place. My introduction was saying I find rest at home. But what I'm saying is, how many of us look to something, we have something greater, but we look at something that is lesser, like a house, and we put our hope and trust in that. I had that house. If I went on vacation and stayed in this place, I would find rest. But what God is saying, look, that's all good. God is saying, Moses is good, it's not bad. But there's Jesus. There's God's rest. Why are you choosing the lesser and leaving the greater on the side? You know, like I said, I'm on sabbatical and I have more time to think. So my wife and I, we've been, we've been planning our future. And we did the math. We're both bad at math, so I hope this, this is right. But we, we did the math and we're like, you know what? In 12 years, we could pay off the house. And the kids will be in college, both, both of them. And we're good. We don't need two full-time jobs. We could both work part-time. And I love being a senior pastor at my church, but I would love to focus more on missions. My wife, she just wants to quit, period. She wants to be home and bake. I was like, oh, you know, why don't do something that actually makes money and not just stay home and bake? But that's what she wants. And we're talking about it, we're planning it. Oh my gosh, both kids are out of the house. We're going to have so much room. And you know, as I was preparing this message, several months ago, I, I didn't prepare a whole new message for you guys. This is, I'm recycling this. Come on, guys. I'm on sabbatical. This is just the last sermon I preached. The least preparation needed to come here. As I was preparing this, I was convicted. This sermon became a sermon to myself. See how my hope is in a paying off condo? It's in a physical place. If the house I live in is paid off, then I could do this, I could do that. I don't have to do this, I don't have to do that. Right now, with two kids and, and you know, being the lead pastor of my church and all of that, I feel like my life is going 100 miles per hour and I... I'm sure many of you guys feel the same way. Life is a blur. But with the paid-off condo, it doesn't have to be like that. We can finally slow down. 
And I just got excited thinking about that. And God was convicting me, Tim, why is your hope 12 years from now? Why is your hope 2032? You could have home today. You can find home right now. Not when your vacation days renew. Not when you save up for the house. Not when you pay off your house. Not when you finally could get away or move out of your parents' house. Though that's rest. That's good too. But God is saying, why not today? Why not now? Come and have communion with me. Have a relationship with me. Worship me. Enter into my rest. And I pray that God, if, if your hope is in a physical place like me, my prayer is that God will convict you as well. How do we find God's rest? Number two. We have to be aware of our tendency to turn away from God's rest. We have to know that our, inherently we want to turn away from God's rest. There is no cruise control in our faith. If you just, just live life without thinking about much, naturally you will go away. Walk away from God's rest. Let's read verse 7 to 12. This is a rebuke to the Israelites. The original Israelites that wandered for 40 years is a rebuke to them. Verse 7 to 12. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Oh, I thought God was the God of love. God sounds mean here. He told his own people, the chosen, gener chosen people, you will not enter into my rest. What did they do wrong? Let's go back to Moses because this passage is, all, is about Moses. Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. And from that journey to the promised land, he could have taken, he, it would have taken him three months if he just took a direct route. But God leads them like all around to Mount Sinai and, and really around. It really takes them about three years to get there. Why does God do that? God is in those three years teaching his people how to trust him, how to worship him. In Mount Sinai, he gives the Ten Commandments. And every time they need something, God provides. So the people will know that, hey, if we trust in God, we could get through anything. When there's no food, food comes from heaven. When they don't know where to go, there is a pillar of cloud, pillar of, pillar of fire. When they were scared that the army was going to get them, the Red Sea parted. They, they, they witnessed the, the ten, ten plagues. 
They saw miracle after miracle. They got the laws. They got to obey. They learned how to worship for three years. God is preparing them for this big moment when they finally get to the promised land. And when they get to the promised land, you guys probably all know the stories in the book of Numbers. They sent 12 spies. And how many come back with good news? Don't be shy. Two. If you got it wrong, it's okay. Just read your Bible more. <laughs> Two. Caleb and Joshua, the other ten, came back with bad news. Other ten came back saying, guys, those dudes are tall. And there is a river fortifying where they are. There's a Jordan River. There's a river, and those guys are giants. And the two, Caleb and Joshua, said, hey, we, God showed us the way for three years. We could, God destroyed uh, the army, the Egyptian army like that. We could do this. But the ten, they won out. And the Israelites cry. It, it says in the book of Numbers that they cried all night long. Why did you bring us here just to be killed? I wish we never left. Just crying and sobbing. Like their life was over. What does God say to them? I've led you for three years. Gave you miracles after miracles. I gave you every reason to trust me. And now, when the moment has come, you're saying you regret following me? You regret leaving slavery? That you want to go back? And God says, you will not enter into my rest. For the next 37 years, they wander around the desert until every single adult is dead. Caleb, Joshua, plus the new generation, they're the ones who get to the promised land. Now we look at the story and we say, those silly Israelites, we always judge them, right? Israelites, man, they're like, they're like sheep. So foolish. But I'm sorry, when you read a Bible story, you got to identify who you are. And guess what? I know you want to be Caleb and Joshua, but I'm sorry. When the Bible, when the story of, in the Bible about this, we're always the Israelites. You and I, we are the Israelites. Imagine how God felt when he destroyed an Egyptian army like that and they're crying because they're going to be killed by giants. It's a good thing that I'm not God because I would have just zapped all of them instantly. Because think about it. They're tall. First of all, tall people are whatevers. <laughs> Is anyone over six feet here? Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Almost six feet? Hey, if you're Vietnamese and six feet, that's like equivalent to being seven foot tall. <laughs> I've been to Vietnam. Nobody called me short in Vietnam, man. They call me short here, not in Vietnam. Come on, it's not a five-on-five -five basketball game. They're not challenging the Israelites on the basketball game. They're tall, big deal. 
And then they're saying, there's a water, there's, there's, it's well fortified, there's a river. How do we cross the river to face these giants? And I'm sure if I was God, I'll be literally pulling out my hair. I mean, if I was God, I'd have more hair. But I'll be pulling out my hair, saying, are you kidding me? I parted the Red Sea, and you're going to cry about a river. But I'm telling you, the silliness that we see is us. God invites us to his rest. He shows us the way. He teaches us his words. Every time you come here on Sunday, every retreat, every quiet time you have with God, every Bible study, what God is doing is he's showing you his way. He's teaching you how to trust him, why you need to trust him. But after all of that, when it comes down to it, many of us, all of us, we say, no, God. When it matters the most, we say, God, no. I'd rather have slavery. I'd rather go back where it's safe. I'd rather have four walls than, than, than needing to trust you every day. That's scary. We're essentially telling God when we don't trust him, I'd rather be a slave than to trust you. You know, Paul says he's a slave of Christ, and a lot of non-Christians, they have a big problem with that. What kind of God wants his followers to be slaves? That's not the God I want to worship. Ah, but they don't get it. When Paul says, I am enslaved to Christ, he means this. See, we're all worshipers or something. We we all have these things that, that... determine our identity, our happiness, our fulfillment. And it's usually something in the world. And usually things that you can't really control. Your wealth, your love life, how your kids do. And as those things go up and down in your life, your happiness, your fulfillment goes up and down as well. Guess what? You are enslaved to this world. You are enslaved to the success of your children or, or you, you climbing the ladder in your, in your career. You're enslaved to your love life. But what Paul is saying is this. Only Christ determines my, determines my identity. What Jesus did on the cross, that makes who I am. My happiness is not determined by anything else other than who Jesus is and what he has done for me on the cross. That makes Paul a slave of Christ. There's a time where you have to trust God, whether it's in your finances, whether it's your future. You don't know how many times when I counsel people, the main, re- main issue is that they feel like they're behind in life. Oh, my friends have this. Look at me. Where am I going in my life? What God is saying is in those moments will you trust God because when you do, you find this rest as well. You know, let me just say this. You know, I, I've heard Tony preach and I invited to my, you know, I haven't heard too many, but I'm sure, you know, he preaches a lot of grace and, and Jesus 
and all of that. And I think the second generation Asian American pastors, we tend to preach more on grace. The older generation, I'm being over generalizing, but the older generation sometimes they, they just kind of yell at you. And actually, Tony kind of yells at you too sometimes, right? But overall, over, overall, it's almost a yes. <laughs> They're silent the whole sermon. Yes. Um, we preach a lot of grace, though. And, yeah, you know, at my church, there's like, it's like three, four people. Every, after every Sunday, they go to the parking lot. They, they, like, they disappear, and I see, like, little smoke come up. At first, I was like, what are they doing? Are they making s'mores or something? Like, like no, Pastor, they're smoking. Oh, okay, okay. And, you know, nobody judges them, right? Sometimes my church people, they, they go out and, you know, they hang out in a bar or something. And, but they're not, they're not drunk. I don't care. And we preach a lot of grace and all of that. And there's a danger in that. There's a danger that preaching grace is great. But the danger is unintended consequences. Sometimes they misunderstand grace and they people feel like they could do whatever they want. They don't have to confess. They don't have to change. They don't have to trust God. And they feel like they should still get all the benefits of, of, of trusting God. Pastor Tim, I don't get it. I come to church every Sunday. Why do I live with this anxiety? I, why do I have this insomnia? Why do I always feel like I'm, I'm scared, I'm worried? They feel like they don't have to do anything, just show up. And they should have all the benefits. I'm, I'm sorry. God is rebuking his people and says, you've hardened your hearts, you've rebelled. There was a day of testing and, and he says, you failed. I'm sorry, if you don't trust God, you cannot have his peace. If you don't repent of the sins of being enslaved by the world, you can't have God's rest. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian. I'm saying you can't have his rest. What's the point of being a Christian if you can't even have his rest? If you can't have the main benefit, living with the peace that only God can offer you? What is the point of coming here every week, giving your money and your time, if you're not even going to have the benefits of being God's child? The benefit of, really, it doesn't matter what goes on in the world that you are secure, who you are is secure. You could fail at your job. You could, your children could get straight Bs. And I know in the Asian church, that's really bad. It's okay. I gotta send my kids to Tony. I know he's a tutor. Man. I know my identity shouldn't be on my kids. But my kids, man, they're not that smart. But, I mean, hey, me and my wife, we got back grades, so, well, you know, well, genetics, right? But, but when they struggle at school or sports, it upsets me. And that's the moment when God is saying, are you going to have, are you going to be enslaved by the world? Are you going to be enslaved by the success and failures of your kid? Or would you enter my rest? That is the moment that God is leading you to.
to make that. It could be small as that. It doesn't have to be finding the promised land. There's a moment where something shakes you, something upsets you, and you could trust God and find his rest, be okay with your kids not being perfect, or you rebel. And you say, no, my kids must do better. Study harder, more tutors. Just throw more money at them. Do better, do better. More studying. Break your PS5, switch, throw it away, only studying. You could do that. Or you could trust God and be okay with your kids just trying their best. Your friend got a promotion. He's making 150. I don't know. Is that even a lot these days? I don't know. Pastors, we don't make anything, so I don't even know what's good anymore. <laughs> and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm still making six. I'm still making, I barely make as much as Pastor Tony. Where, where am I going with my life? At that moment, God is saying, would you trust me? Would you be okay with not caring about how much you make, but caring more about how you live, about how loving you are? Or you could rebel and say, you know what? Money-making mode. Gonna go to grad school. No more friends, no more church. Study hard. Get a raise. Kiss off to my bosses. Make money mode. There's multiple moments in your life, maybe every month, maybe every day, where you get to choose. But it's just like the spies. There's like 10 saying, it's over. To trust the world. Make more money. You got to start dating. What are you doing? There's like 10 voices speaking to you. And there's only two saying, you're okay. God has control. Fight through the 10 voices. Would you, I plead with you, I beg you, would you trust God and enjoy his rest? Feeling home, not judged on your accomplishments, just being okay. That you are satisfied, not because of what you accomplished, but because of what Jesus accomplished for you. That is home. Let's pray.